0: and get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MeatEater for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Alright,
1: welcome to the Wired Hunt Podcast brought to you by Onyx. Like I just said, we are here for our second bonus turkey hunting episode of the month. We've got Tony Peterson back with us. You probably heard him recently talking deer with me. Now we're back to talk turkeys. And in particular, we're going to cover a lot on how he bow hunts for turkeys. We're going to cover some of his different uh, tactics with decoys in particular, how he adds realism to them. Uh, We discuss some different turkey tendencies and whether or not there's truth to these myths or commonly held beliefs. We're going to talk calling, scouting, public land, how to find good public land turkey spots, and a whole lot more along those lines. It's a good one. If you're ready to hit the turkey woods, highly recommend you give this one a listen before heading out. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. All right, with me on the line for our bonus. turkey podcast conversation. Tony Peterson, thanks for joining me again for another one of these chats. And uh, I had to get you on to talk turkeys because the last time you and I talked turkeys, we somehow got Spencer Newharth to admit to something about bobcats breeding with turkeys and all sorts (laughs) of weird stuff. And it was one of my favorite moments of 2019.
2: So it it was amazing. Spencer is... uh... (laughs) That, that dude's like a legit alien or something. He's...
1: Can, I, can I tell you something else weird about him? Yeah, please. He gets up every morning at 530, I think, and he goes into his hot tub in the backyard. And He doesn't have a fence. And so he just kind of walks out into the middle of his yard with all these neighbors around him. And he gets in his hot tub and he has a weird morning ritual that I don't really fully understand. But he spends an hour kind of meditating, it seems like, in his hot tub every morning in Montana. Uh, he's got purple like mood lights and stuff. It's a very peculiar thing, but it does help me understand him a little bit better. So I just thought you should know so, that. <laughs>
2: uh, that I I 100% believe that and it, not not to totally derail this thing. Have you watched the the Tiger King on Netflix yet? <laughs>
1: I I just have started. I'm one episode in. Yeah. So tell me if you don't think that Spencer Newharth might belong at that zoo. Oh, he would fit in perfectly. I could see him being like one of the groundskeepers. He'd be one of the guys that kind of was, was reeled in underneath uh, Joe Exotic's lure yeah. and helps out with things. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, in fact, I think his new nickname should be Spencer Exotic. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's not bad. We started calling him the hot tub hunter uh, within the meat eater <laughs> team. And, uh, and there's just something about him that just is mysterious <laughs> yeah he's uh, uh yeah he's
2: he's one of a kind he's he's actually we we may even uh, get together and hunt with him this year if possible huh
1: and i think that'd be a lot of fun if it works out i definitely he's, he's a character he's a good dude uh but but turkeys other than spencer are what i wanted to talk <laughs> about today and, and what i've got kind of planned what we've been doing for this month is kind of a series of bonus turkey episodes where we just kind of go rapid fire through a bunch of different tactic topics and just kind of run down all sorts of thoughts that you've got on hunting turkeys. I know you do a ton of it. You're very successful. Uh, I've enjoyed talking turkeys in the past. So if you're down, I... I'm going to try not to do the weird rambling circle conversations that I sometimes have. <laughs> I'm going to try to just spit questions at you, get ideas and just go down the list and cover as much actually helpful stuff as possible rather than me rambling about philosophy or some crazy thing like that. <laughs> well, this is this is going to be a hell of a challenge for both of us. Then, <laughs> yeah, I know I'm going to try to stick to my notes. <laughs> so. Are you prepared to do the turkey hunting rapid fire wired hunt challenge? <laughs> Definitely. Fire away, buddy. Okay. Tony Peterson. How do you go about finding public land turkey spots? Let's start there. Turkey hunting public land. How do you find spots that are good? Uh, get on on X and find some trees. Is that That's easy? That's usually
2: how I start. Yep.
1: If it, it, you know, Give me more. If I'm,
2: if I'm heading out west, uh, it's a, it's a. Some kind of river bottom with some trees. If I'm in the Midwest or the East, it's trees with some kind of field nearby. That's that's how I start.
1: And and is there is literally that the extent of your e scouting is just finding <laughs> some things like that, and then it, it all comes down to being on the ground and, and listening and seeing. Or is there anything I can do before I get on the ground?
2: Um, I, you know, it depends what I'm. If if I'm running and gunning with a shotgun, I'm I'm kind of taking the the same the same approach I would for the whitetails where I'm looking for a big chunk of ground. So I'm I'm looking for those few essentials, right? There has to be some some trees for them to sleep in and some cover for them, and there has to be some food around there for them. After that, it's going to be a matter of like how much ground can I cover and how how far can I get
1: from the access. Okay. So then let's do that. Let's we're on the ground. You're covering ground. How do you actually scout a property? on the ground for turkeys is it a matter of just walking field edges or walk me through exactly what you're doing on your first day let's say um we, you know
2: field edges are good because they're easy but the thing that i look for a lot is roost if if i can find a roost tree and i i you know you've i don't know if you've ever hunted like texas birds no but we uh if, if you get into some of these states where there's sort of limited roost spots you find those year-to-year roost trees And I always kind of thought that was an anomaly that you couldn't find in the Midwest or in, in, in the East. And I'm, I'm realizing it's not true. I'm finding those places where there's just some trees that they're in every night of the year, just about. And, you know, it's easy to figure out the food sources typically. And so if you can start with where they're going to be at first light and where they're going to go and, you know, maybe how they'll build that circuit back in to come back around in the evening. It just gives you such a good idea how to go through the whole
1: day. So I feel like it's maybe tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems pretty easy how you go about trying to find the roost tree, which is either seeing something physically that looks like, Oh yeah, that's like an ideal roost tree or it's actually trying to roost them at night. So going out there at last light and owl hooting or crow calling or whatever to, to hear where they're at or you find them the next morning, whatever it is. So there's that way of, of finding something like that. But Is there anything else you're doing to get that hub of the wheel or can you expand on that at all? Um, for me, it's not so
2: much listening to them. Uh, Yeah, I have bad hearing. And so I I like to get out and actually get under the trees. You know, I kind of tie it into a bunch of shed hunting or winter scouting for deer, but I'm just looking for those piles of poop that look like they've, they've spent years on the same limbs and then I know exactly what tree they're in and I can look at the terrain and go, they probably fly up from that spot or that ridge. And so you know how the approach is going to be uh, in the evening and you can kind of look at the fields or the, the, the best landing zones and go, okay, this is probably where they're going to land in the morning and how they're going to walk away. So if I know exactly what trees they're using, it, it helps me build a better plan.
1: Have you found any kind of trend with what that circuit typically looks like for, uh, for a gobbler? Is it, is it usually fly down to, you know, a strut zone or some food source and they hen up or whatever, and then they roam through some certain type of cover and then they circle back to a field or I don't know. Is there any kind of generic trend you've seen with what a typical Turkey circuit would look like?
2: Yeah, well, for sure. A lot of it comes from fall hunting. You see, you see the circuit big time if you spend a full day fall turkey hunting, but in the spring, what I'm, what's going to make a circuit is the hens. They're going to have a pattern, especially the earlier in the season you are. So they're going to, they're going to do the same thing today, what they did yesterday and a certain amount of the toms are going to follow them. And that's just like pretty much a given. So if you know what they like to do throughout the day, that, that sort of starts to disintegrate as the season goes on and there's more bugs and they're, they're nesting and stuff, but for the first couple of weeks of the season, in most places, if you're, if your opener is in April, that's pretty reliable as far as what the hens are going to do. And the toms are going to be with them. And then you run into those, uh, kind of the two-year-olds and the Jakes and the roamers that aren't hanging tight with the hens a lot of times. And those birds are just, you know, they're, you kind of hunt those like you do rutting bucks where they're like, they're going to take that logging road or they're going to walk a certain route and go from strutting zone to strutting zone or checking fields and covering ground. And so there's two different things going on. But when you're talking about like starting the turkey season, paying attention to that circuit that the hens do, which is way more predictable than a lot of people think that just puts you in the right place uh, to, to not only catch like the to- the dominant toms, but you'll ca- catch some of those satellite birds that are kind of, you know, they just got booted out of the winter flock, but they're not ready to go anywhere else yet.
1: So it's, it's just a good strategy to start with. Do you ever do you what am I trying to say here? There's certain things that we know that mature bucks do that are different than immature bucks, than little dinkers. Like there's some certain things we can assume that mature bucks will travel differently in this way. Mature bucks will bed maybe a little bit differently this way. Um have you found any key things with mature toms as far as some generalities that how they'll operate differently? Um man. Kind of like they're,
2: they're the ones who will start out with the most hens and hold the hens the longest. And so it's just a matter of, and I don't know if you've ever hunted the, the really early birds, like the late March Nebraska type of thing where you get to see you, you might actually be hunting while the wintering flocks are breaking up mm-hmm. and you'll have those days where you watch them and you see like 20 turkey fights break out. It just, it, they're, they're just in such close proximity and they're setting that pecking order and you can start to see the two-year-olds peel off and then and the three Jakes here will peel off and they're, they're like settling that stuff as you're watching. And it's pretty, it happens pretty early. They'll fight later, of course, but you see those big Toms and the mature ones they they really they just win like they're they're the toughest they're the biggest and those birds they're going to hang with those hens tight and if you can find out what they're going to do in a day-to-day basis he might be a little harder to call off because he's already got his hens but the way to kill that bird is with a full strutter if you can if you can get in on his route where he's going to come through with some of those hens and you've got a full strutter out there with a hen or two that bird that dominant bird is not going to put up with it. If you're close, if you're 400 yards away on the other end of a field, it's probably not going to happen. But if you can figure out where he he's going to go with those hens in that feeding circuit, that can be just unreal.
1: Hmm. So you decoy a little differently. Do you call differently? If you see a bird that you know is, or you think is a mature big old Tom versus a two year old bird, is there anything you do differently from a calling standpoint? The, there isn't for me, uh, I'm sure some, some people out there probably gobble at them
2: more. Um, I don't cause I've never had, I've never once felt like gobbling did me any favors other than just locating them. I mean, I, I, I gobble with a mouth call. And so like finding them in the tree, if I'm running and gunning or getting a, getting kind of a shot gobble, a response gobble, it's awesome. But as far as like convincing that Tom to come in, I've never felt like it was the right choice for me. So I, you know, a lot of hen calling and I'm, I'm a caller, man. We've talked about this before. Like I, I, I like to hold a conversation out there. I'm not mm-hmm. one of those old school dudes who's, you know, yelp three times and shut up for 20 minutes. That's not my style.
1: <laughs> so what on the calling front would you say is your signature move then? Do you have like that little trick? Like when you got to get them over the hump and they just don't want to go, then like, oh, I'm going to do my little Tony Peterson trick. What is that?
2: Uh, yeah, I'll, I take, I I live off of mouth calls and slate calls, and what I'll do is really try to tick the hens off, and I'll I'll do I'll call with the slate call and the yelp call, and I'll cut each other off so it sounds like two hens going at it. So it's it's a yelping with one, and then a cut off yelp with the other, and then you start that if you if you fire that up right, it starts leading into that like real loud cutting yeah and you see this this is something you know you learn in the fall hunting is those hens have dominance too and if you've ever you know had that hen decoy out and had another hen come in and kind of half strut and peck your decoy she's she's dominant Mm -hmm. and once in a while you can get those birds to like really get mad and those hens will come in and when you if you're out there and it's like noon and you haven't heard a goblin three hours and you get that live hen to do that, you'll hear gobbles. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just changes the whole dynamic of the woods. And so I'll, I'll try that kind of dual calling thing to get them fired up. And I actually, when it's early like that and I'm, I'm working what I think is going to be that Tom with a bunch of hens, I do a lot of scratching too. Cause they, they, you know, they're just, they're moving through on a feeding circuit that time
1: of the year. And it just, I think it just sells the whole thing. How close do you think a turkey has to be to hear you scratch? I mean, what's like the range where you will try that?
2: Man, I don't don't know how far away they could be. You know, if the leaves are dry, they can hear that quite a ways. And I think it's just a matter of, I think, you know, like if you think about calling deer, I think one of the reasons calling deer is so hard is because it's hard to make it actually sound like deer making calls. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're never making sounds in the leaves. And there isn't, you know, it's just, it's a different thing. But with turkeys, you know, you listen to hens; they they're calling to one another constantly. Whether they're just kind of subtly clucking and yelping, and there's always scratching going on. And so, even if it's only you know a hundred yard game or a hundred fifty yard game, it just it I think it just helps sell the whole thing.
1: Yeah. So, do you not buy into the overcalling concern that a lot of people talk about?
2: <sighs> not really. I I think if you're a good caller, it's it's really hard to overcall. I think if you're not very confident or you're just not, you know,
1: not very good at it. It's easy to overcall. So then what's the, what's the thing you did to become a good caller? Like, is there any one thing that makes you a good caller in your mind? Is it because you've mastered the Yelp or is it because you listen to so many birds or I don't know. Is there anything you could, you point to, to what makes you a good caller? Fall turkey hunting. Go, you, you hold the hell has time for that. Dude, you, you want to learn
2: how to be a good caller and you want to learn about turkeys and what they say to one another, hunt in the fall. I mean, it's, it's amazing how vocal they are and how many conversations you can hold with hens when you hunt in the fall.
1: I just, I, I guess I've just never thought about turkeys in the fall. I know it's a thing. I just have got my mind so filled up with bucks and bulls and all that <laughs> stuff that I just haven't been able to make time to think about it. But That's an interesting point. So what about your tactics and how any of this might change if, and I think this is what you mostly do, correct me if I'm wrong, but how any of this is different for bow hunting turkeys? Because a lot of folks approach it with guns, but more and more and more people are out there with stick and string. Um, What do you do differently or what, Does your turkey hunting setup look like differently because you're bow hunting versus the typical gun hunt setups?
2: Um, bow hunting, you know, you, you want to build in as much scouting as possible. So you're confident in that spot. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, I think they sort of look at bow hunting turkeys like a lot of people look at bow hunting deer. It's like, well, there's a field edge. I just got to go get on it. And the critters will walk by but there's so there's so many like little subtle things they prefer you know you can see um if you if you watch enough birds strut in a hundred acre cornfield you you'll see birds strutting in the same spots and it's like there's a subtle ridge there like a little high point or they can enter it from a certain way or there's something to it and so bow hunting yeah, you, you, you know, you might want to go out and put your blind on the edge of the field, but you want to be like on that spot on a spot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's just like setting up for deer. There's, there's places they like to come in. There's places they like to leave it and there's places they, they feel confident feeding where they can see in more directions. And so it's, it's a matter of really putting yourself in a place that you have a lot of confidence cause you're going to, you're not going to be mobile. And then using the decoys that are appropriate for the time of the season and making them visible. That, that matters for bow hunting so much.
1: What is your bow hunting setup then? I know last year we talked about some of your favorite decoy setups, but walk me through like exactly, and not even just your decoy, but walk me through how you best like to set up a a blind or whatever that setup is you're going to use to hide. And then, and then your decoys. Um, you know, the
2: blind, the blind just depends on where the, the birds are where they're using frequently, whether it's a, you know, a field or a logging road or something, you know, that, that just depends on the scouting. The, the decoy thing is so tough. And I should say this, I always brush in my blinds. Um, I don't, I'm sure there are lots of turkeys that would ignore a blind out in the wide open still, but I don't hunt them anymore. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't see that tolerant behavior in blinds and, the one thing that I realized is even if a turkey tolerates it, my deer won't. And so if I hmm. go pop a blind out and have a bunch of deer blowing and snorting and run away, it does me no favors for turkeys. It's a good point. So I, I always brush them in. Um, and you know, when you think about access with that too, you're trying to be, you know, if it, 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 it proverbially you're hunting close to the roost on the first food source or the first travel route, but you want to be able to get in there and not spook them. And so there's a lot that goes into that as far as planning and scouting, but decoys, we don't, I guess we don't think about it very often, but you really, it's kind of like a match the hatch thing with fly fishing. Like when you start the turkey season and it's early, those birds are more flocked up. And when you get into May and the back half of May, if you're hunting that late, there's, there's solo or there's pairs of hens and it just, the whole thing changes. And so when it's, and, and they're less likely to fight and be fired up later in the season. So when you take the early birds, they're used to being around a lot of birds and seeing flocks and they're fighting a lot. They're ticked off. Like the, the hens aren't really coming in yet and they've just spent close proximity all winter to these all these dudes who are their enemy now. And so that that full strut Tom in the right situation with a bunch of hens is awesome or that quarter strut Jake over the breeding hen with a bunch of hens when you start out. Is just that that's my favorite thing to use. I mean, that's, that'll bring in all types of birds. And then as the season progresses, I start peeling off those hens. And if I get into like probably about May 10th on, I I'm like one feeding hen and no jakes, nothing that for me, that's been the best way to do it.
0: You match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types, plus a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at UrgentCareKit.com slash MeatEater and use promo code Meater. That's promo code MeatEater at UrgentCareKit.com slash MeatEater. ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER.
1: I've read where you have talked in the past about the fact that having exceptionally realistic decoys is pretty important, maybe more so than you used to think. Can you just describe why you think that now? Because I, when I first started turkey hunting, I, I just started turkey hunting about 10, 11, 12 years ago, and it wasn't something that my family did. I just kind of taught myself how to do it. And I bought two like $12 plastic decoys from Gander <laughs> Mountain that, just have the very vaguest similarity to what a turkey looks like. Just the basic shape, I would say <laughs> and um, yep. that's what I was working with for a whole lot of years. Uh, why was that the wrong decision? Um, it, it depends what you're doing. You know, I mean, it, that's what I
2: started out on too, but we only shotgun hunted and it really, you know, there's been an education curve out there for the birds. Like we we killed off a lot of the dumb ones and yeah, you know, I'm not saying the turkeys that we have now are smart, but they, they're maybe a little bit less tolerant of this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so if you're shotgun hunting, you're running gun and it doesn't really matter a whole lot. If you spend up for decoys, if you do, you, you probably have a little bit better of a hunt, but you only need that bird in that 35, 40 yard range. And even if he comes in there and he gets a little spookier, he doesn't want to commit closer. It doesn't really matter or it shouldn't. You can dust him at 40 or whatever. Yeah. You can shoot him right in the face when it, when when you're bow hunting and you want that bird, I mean, I, I literally want my birds like five to seven yards away and I want them in that decoy trance where if I shoot them and I've had this happen, like probably three or four times in the last few years, I've shot birds right through the chest and had them fly up, come right back down and keep fighting my decoy and shot them again. And it, there's just, you can see them with those really good decoys that have the right body posture. It's not just, you know, it's not just like a paint job, even though the best ones look really good, but they're conveying something with the body posture. And there, you can just watch these birds. I mean, I'll never forget. I killed a bird in Iowa two years ago, this monster Tom late season. We called him in, you know, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning, 1030, got him gobbling and we watched him hit this field edge and he probably hit it. I don't know, hundred yards away, 125 yards away, started walking in and kind of just slow walking, but in our direction. And when he just got close, you could just see that it just flipped the switch and he just went full strut right up next to the decoy and just like started bumping it. And he was kind of like cautious on the way in, but you just, you could like, you know how it is with a buck, like sometimes they're standing there and you'll make a call. And he'll just do something, and you go, uh oh, it's on. Yeah, the body like, language tells you. Yeah. He'll start licking his lips or something, and you go, this is just, you just feel it. Like you mm-hmm. just saw that change, and it's going to happen. That happens to me more than ever when I use really good decoys. Like I think, I think spending up for decoys is better than, than it's the best
1: money you can spend on turkey hunting. What's your favorite decoy? Dave Smith's. And do you have like a specific, if, if, if I could only afford one Dave Smith decoy, which one would it be? The, the, it's a quarter strut.
2: I think it's a quarter strut Jake. It's the one, it's the Jake that everybody uses. I think that decoy, I've had more just amazing Tom commitment to that, to the point where like, just just as an example, I, I went out last year in Minnesota and I had this this scout spotted out or a spot scouted out. And I I put that setup out there. And I had a couple hens, but I had that that Jake decoy over a lay-down hen. And I called in a bird at like nine o'clock. And I saw him come through the woods. And as soon as he laid eyes on it, he ran in. And that that Jake decoy has like a pretty stout metal, um, oversized stake. That Tom came in and hit my decoy so hard he bent the metal stake. <laughs> and I, he started fighting and pushing that decoy around and I shot him right through the wing butt and out his back and he flipped up, ran down the road, turned around and came back and walked up to that decoy and I shot him again. And I mean, I, I shot him when I, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I, I got it on film when, when I cleaned that bird, I had run a, like a two inch mechanical basically from his wing butt down over the top of his thigh through his chest and he came back to fight. It was wow. just carnage. I don't, I don't know how he did it. When he, the second shot, he didn't have anything left in him, but they just, that, that decoy or those decoys, it's incredible, man.
1: So what if I just, I don't have that kind of money. I'm not going to be able to toss whatever it costs to get one of those Dave Smiths. What if I have to settle for a more affordable model, but I'm a creative type. I like arts and crafts, or I like to get funky with things. Are there any little modifications or tricks that I can do to make a less expensive model a little bit more appealing? I know that I've heard some stuff about ways you add movement, different stuff like that.
2: Yep. Yeah, you can add movement. I I used to do that a lot more um, with with gluing some of those, those down feathers from turkeys on them or like around the head and the legs to add a little movement. But the one trick that I've heard a lot that I, I've tried it in the past and I've seen this in wild birds is you can paint your, your Jake head white. And the, the theory is, and I I don't know if this is proven or not. I think it is, but when they know they're about to actually breed a hen, their head turns white. Hmm. And so you'll see, I I actually think Dave Smith has a new decoy out that has a white head. I'm not sure, but we've seen that in the past where companies come out with that. And I think a lot of people don't want to buy it because we think, Tom heads are red. Like you look at them on the shelf, you know, in Cabela's or wherever, and you go, that, that doesn't look right. Right. But if you've ever been out there and you've hunted birds enough, I've killed a few birds that their head turned white while it was, the whole thing was going down. Yeah. And I've heard that from people who are way, had way more Turkey experience than me in observing birds. So I think that's something that's, that, you know, it's worth trying out. Cause that's, if you want to tick off a gobbler, show them that,
1: <laughs> uh, one more thing in decoys. You you said that you want those birds coming right in close. Exactly how far away do you like your decoys set up from a bow hunting uh, blind or whatever you're in? That my Jake is going to be, or if I
2: Jake or the the Strutter is going to be like five to seven yards. Okay. And I I want
1: it. I mean I I want it stupid close. I want it so that I can't miss. <laughs> Speaking of can't missing what are the shots you are willing to take with a bow at a Turkey and where, where exactly do you like to aim? Um, I like them when they're not in full strut, if I can
2: help it. Um, I, I have shot them. It, if, if I, if I shoot them full strut, I like on the side cause I can kind of aim around that wing butt and tell where I want to put it. But if it's, if it's a bird that's not in full strut, I'll shoot him any way he's standing. Cause you can just, you, you know, you're aiming for that volleyball in the middle of their body. And so I, what I really like is that Tom that's facing away from me, I can shoot him through the back, through the vitals and not in full strut. Cause then you just, you could, you have a better chance of just breaking them down and running it through a whole bunch of good stuff.
1: How do you, what do you like how, walk me to that point where you're going to aim? So if the, the Turkey's walking straight away, you're going to put a dead center mass, you know, from the yep. left to right. But up and down, are you going a couple inches above, like the where the tail meets, or I don't know how where do you pick your um, spot. A little higher than that. Um, probably you know you're I'm
2: probably trying to hit like maybe two inches below where the wing butts are, okay. somewhere in there. Maybe three inches below. Kind of depends. You know, sometimes they walk low, like a we think of like a Triceratops Rex walking, and sometimes <laughs> they're up high. You know. Yeah, it's good. Point. Um, but I like. I like that facing away shot and it, you know, part of that's just cause it's a little bit easier to get drawn and, but it's, you know, they're always moving and there's, there's so much, it's so dynamic that you, you just gotta, I, I really think the best advice is to get a standing Turkey 3d target and shoot it at a whole bunch of different angles.
1: Mm-hmm. What about fixed versus mechanical? I'm, I'm a mechanical guy with turkeys. I like, I like big cuts. Fair enough. There's not anything too huge that you're going to knock into and have issues like a shoulder blade on a deer, right? No. Um I will say that I did I shot a bird one time I
2: don't know a couple of years ago. I shot a bird in full strut that was you know maybe 10 yards away and I, you know I shoot pretty heavy stuff and I hit that sucker directly in the wing bone and got I didn't hardly get any penetration. I was like, "What well, just have I knocked him over." He took off and ran and he died in the field. And so I thought, oh, it was better than I, you know, I thought my initial impression was just wrong. But when I went out there, I only got like five inches of penetration. And my arrow actually broke wow. on him. And it made me wonder if there was already like a crack in that arrow or something or some kind of somehow it was compromised
1: or if a turkey wing could actually do that. I don't know. <laughs> um, So we talked about setting up you know, decoys and a blind and everything for your bow hunts. Will you ever run and gun with a bow? If you're set up and it's just not happening, it's late morning and you want to get Nancy, will you go wing it? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah,
2: mostly, I mostly regret it, but yes, I'll do that. (laughs) It's just hard, man. I mean, I've tried the ghillie suit thing and I've tried some of those little portable blinds and it's, it's possible. I've killed a few that
1: way, but it's just not very easy is there any one thing that has made it a little more successful? Do you have any, like, is there a best practice you've found yet?
2: Yeah. Carry the good decoys with you because you need them in that situation. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of the things I actually kind of forgot. You know, I grew up putting my back to an Oak tree and hunt with a shotgun out in the open. And I've, I started doing that more in the last few years. Again, there was a while where I really didn't, I was mostly just bow hunting And you forget like, man, you can't get away with anything out there when they're, when it's just you and the Turkey and it's fun because you can, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot at stake, every little movement you make. And so bow hunting, you've got to think, all right, well the, you know, the big movement you're going to have to do, you you really got to plan around that. And it's, that's not an issue when you're in a blind, you know, you, you can draw, you can get your moment to draw pretty easy when you're in a blind and it's not the case when you're out there in the open.
0: Yeah.
1: You mentioned, um, you know, how different it is versus being in the cover versus being out in the open. And that, that makes me think about one of the other challenges I think that we often face as turkey hunters, which is figuring out what to do when a turkey is not wanting to come towards you. They're hung up for some reason or another. And you always hear these different theories or wives tales about, well, you're not going to be able to get a turkey to jump over a ditch or cross a stream or do different things like that, like physical barriers. Um, is there any truth to that kind of stuff? Um, I've heard things about uphill downhill, like they're not going to want to go uphill or they're not going to want to go down a hill or they're whatever. Um, is any of that kind of stuff stick with you or do you just go with it and be really good at calling? (laughs) Well,
2: you know, they're individuals, man. Like some, some birds aren't going to fly across a little Creek or a river. Some birds will come across so fast. They'll make your head spin. You know I mean? It's how fired up are they? What kind of bird are you dealing with? You know? And my thing, if I, if I have those birds hang up, you know, cause sometimes it just happens. They get to like 50, 60 yards and they're just not doing it. And I kind of just let them go. Like it, it. sometimes I think that's just what you're dealing with, you know, but I'll never forget, dude, I was in, uh, I was hunting public land in South Dakota a couple years ago. And I was on this, this top of this bluff and I could see so far. And I had I had a big flock roosted close to me and they all went away. And later in the morning, like six hundred yards away, way across a valley, I saw these birds walking. And there was one strutter in there and I could see a Jake and then some hens through my binoculars. And I called, like I yelped as loud as I could, and you could see when the sound of my call made it all the way over there, that Jake took off, ran down that hill and sailed and flew right into my decoys. And it was like (laughs) It was like incredible. I shot him right through the back. It was like, it was dumb. And there was everything between us to keep him away. And that was just the one bird where he's like, he's like hanging out and there's a strutter there. He's like, I'm not getting with these hens. And he heard one and he's going, I'm, I'm shooting my shot, you know, my best chance. Yeah. You could just see it like, Oh, there's my, there's my opportunity. (laughs) And you know, you don't know when you're going to run into that bird. And to think that you're not going to run into it is you know, it, it, it's silly. They're they're living things out there. They're like the the rules that we make up. They they just don't. They're just not universal. It's the same thing in the deer world. Like they're gonna do stuff that they're not supposed to. And if you're out there and you spend more time watching them and more time calling them, you just realize like there's a certain amount of birds. They're gonna go
1: uphill, downhill, through fences, whatever they have to do. Yeah. When you find yourself in a situation where he really won't, though, he really won't go over the fence, or he really won't go across the creek, or you don't know why, but for some reason he's hung up and you can't see him, but you just hear him just kind of stuck. Uh, what are your go-to moves to try to unhang a turkey?
2: Um, if if I've tried everything in the book and, you know, like changed my calling strategy and shut up on them and got fired up um, and I can still see them out there and they're not going to do it, I I almost treat it like they're not there anymore. And try to work something else and just see if there's something else going on. Cause you know, it just, it just happens. Like there's birds that just won't do it. And, you know, you could maybe add some movement into your decoys. I've, I've tried a bunch of stuff like that and the you know, the strutters you can spin and, you know, bring the tail up and down the tail fan up and down. And I've never really, it, there's just like something about it where some of those birds, you can just read them and go, this is not going to happen. Like, unless I move and reset up somewhere else, this bird is not coming to this setup today. And you just, I, I kind of just accept that.
1: Yeah. So do you do what you just described though? Will you sometimes get up and change position on them a lot? That's something that I've had some success with.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's so easy if you're gun hunting to, to swing around and try to call them into the woods. And, yeah. you know, one thing that, and you can do it bow hunting too. And I have done it, especially if I see a couple birds and they're like, yeah, this is where we're going to be. <laughs> not, not where you are. Right. But the one thing that I've seen, and it, this kind of comes from the deer world is there, you get a lot of, you get a lot of looks when you're on field edges with turkeys, but you, you get those birds and maybe it's just cause you can see them and you know, they're doing it, but you get those birds that hold up and aren't coming in and I think there's a different dynamic at play when you're in the cover and you're on that little logging road or that little tiny meadow and you're in the woods, a lot of those birds seem more likely to commit in those situations. Cause it's me, you know, the theory is, you know, they got to get closer to see what's going on, right. but I just think that there's less pressure in there. And sometimes they're like, this is a place where I run into birds
1: a lot and not hunters as much. Hmm. Uh, you wrote an article for mediator somewhat recently, um, about the situation you just described, which was birds that are maybe decoy shy or spooked by the decoy or something like that. Uh, how do you, do you, do you do what you just described, which is you just head into the woods when you have that kind of situation? Or is there anything else that you would think about when you have that kind of scenario?
2: Um, it depends what I have out for decoys. You know, if I've got the, the strutter out and I have a couple birds that are, You know, they'll hold up at 50, 60 yards and not do it, then that strutter's gone. Um, the same thing with a Jake. If if I have if I can see long beards and they're not committing, I go, okay, the probably the first bet is to take the the Tom or the Jake away and then see if that changes what's going on. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But I I had that happen a couple years ago with that strutter. I had a spot that had a really big bird with a bunch of hens coming through. And I put that strutter out on the hopes I'd get him and I kept having like nice, good looking birds come in and go, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And I pulled it and replaced it with the, the Jake and the lay hen and killed a great bird, you know, the next morning. I mean, it just, so it's kind of, it, you just, you're just kind of reading it and going, okay, well this is, this is on today or this just isn't doing it. And you start changing things up and pulling things out of the spread and going, well, how can I, how can I get a different reaction?
1: Is there a scenario where you'd go decoyless completely?
2: Um, with shotguns, a lot. Yeah, I I don't I don't mind uh, sitting out there and just calling. With bow hunting, probably not. I'll I'll get down to a single feeding hen or a single they they, they call it a leading hen, this walking hen. But I would have a hard time bow hunting without a decoy. Shotguns, yes. Yeah.
1: What's, uh, I think we should wrap it up here. We're doing these, you know, kind of short and sweet episodes for our, for our Turkey deal here. What do you think if, if there is anything, what is one thing you do as a Turkey hunter that most other hunters would think weird or crazy or just not in anybody else's book? Is there anything out there that you're just a little different on
2: Um, you know, maybe my calling style is, is real aggressive. I think a lot of people, if they, they saw how much I called and the, the, you know, I put some stank on it. I think they'd be like, that's not, (laughs) that's not what we're used to. (laughs) I think that, I think the craziest thing that I do is I spend a lot of days sitting dark to dark in the same blind bow hunting turkeys. And you know, those, those spring days are long and that's, that's when you you like you want to talk about being bored in a quarantine right now when you're in your house. Oh, yeah. Go sit in a freaking turkey blind for you know 15 hours in a day, especially on a day when you know you maybe have some cold weather or something coming in and it's just shut down. Man, it is brutal.
1: That is, it's tough to do all day sits for deer. It's I I, I can't do all day sits for turkeys. That's that takes a certain amount of stamina that I'm impressed by, Tony. <laughs> it's it it sucks,
2: but it can be you know, it, it came, that came from hunting Nebraska a lot in the early season where, you know, when those birds are flocked up in the morning and they're all on a food source, you might not have a workable bird until six o'clock in the afternoon, but you don't know. And so we'd go out and sit and you would have just drudgery for like 10 hours. And then all of a sudden a bird would fire up in a new place and, you know, coming through the brush or something and it just change everything. And so it, it stuck with me that it's, It can be worth it, but man, it can be torture.
1: (sighs) I guess that's sort of the name of the game of hunting. Sometimes you got to push through the tough stuff to uh, occasionally have those special moments that uh, you're rewarded with, right?
2: Yeah, big time.
1: All right. Well, Tony, thank you for talking turkey with me here today. Um, It's always a good time. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for
2: having me on, buddy.
1: All right. Well, that is it. I hope you guys have enjoyed this second installment of our bonus turkey hunting episodes. Uh, I think we mentioned it towards the top, but if not, I just want to remind you all that we have been putting out a whole ton of turkey hunting articles over at themeateater.com. I mean, we've got articles from Tony, we've got articles from myself, and a whole slew of turkey hunters from all across the country covering every imaginable topic how to kill a bird off the roost, how to run and gun for turkeys, how to use different types of decoys, different types of calls. I mean, we got you covered. So I hope you're able to check those out and put them to good use. Um, I know times are tough right now for all sorts of different reasons. You may not be able to get out on the hunting trips like you used to be able to, but I am hoping that you're able to find a little time to get out there in the outdoors Uh, for no other reason than to just get back to a tiny bit of normalcy Um, A breath of fresh air and a turkey gobble can do wonders for a person. So I'm hoping you're safe. I'm hoping you're well and that your family is, is healthy too. And until next
0: time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill.